Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we begin a series of studies from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. This chapter contains Christ's messages to the seven churches as revealed to the writer of the book, the Apostle John, during his exile on the Isle of Patmos. The first message is to the church at Ephesus, and today's study is titled, Finding the Right Church. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. At the end of the program, I will tell you how you can obtain a copy of this entire message by Steve Preloff. Now let's get ready for class to start. Here is Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, as we move into a, a new part, a new section of our study of the book of Revelation. And here's what we read. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men and You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you've ever had the experience of moving from one community to another, you know that one of the first things you do, it's really a priority, is that you look for a good church. That's what you want, a good church for you and your family. Usually, you visit several churches. You you visit different churches each week, and you evaluate each church to determine if it's the right one for you, right one for you and your family. And as you evaluate each church, you have a general idea of what you're, what you're looking for. At least you should, based on, on biblical uh, principles. You certainly want a church that believes the Bible. You want a church where the Bible is taught, that's sound in doctrine. You want a church that has high standards, That is to say that this is a church that is not a compromising church. They practice what they preach. They are loyal to to Christ. It's a church that deals with with sin. There's some purity going on there. It's a church characterized by purity. Also, you want a church that has good leadership, where those who lead the church are men of the word, men who have high standards, men who practice what they preach. You want a church that is missionary-minded, zealous, energetic, a hard-working church that does hard work out of good motives. I mean, those are some of the things that would be important for us if we were looking for a new church. And if you could find a church like this, orthodox in its doctrine, uh, pure in terms of its godliness, good leadership, zealous and energetic, you'd probably say, I'll take it. I don't want to look any further. I have found the right church for my family and for me. This church has passed your inspection, your evaluation, and from your perspective, it's a good church that you want to settle in. What about our Lord's perspective, though? Would he agree 
with you? Would he agree with me? How would he evaluate this church that you like so much? What would his inspection reveal? Now, these are not really hypothetical questions, because the church that I just described is, is not a hypothetical church. It actually existed in the first century. It's the church known as the church at Ephesus, the Ephesian church. I just read to you the message to this church. It's, now, this is the first of seven churches that Jesus told John in the book of Revelation to write to. Seven churches, that's what chapters 2 and 3 are about. Remember, the message to John is this, write what you've seen. That's the vision of Christ, the great judge. That's our last study. Christ is the glorified judge. Secondly, he said, write the things that are. The things that are are those things that historically were going on right then and there while John was alive. And then he said, write about the things that will come. So chapter one is the things that John had seen a vision of Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 are the churches that existed in that day, and then from chapter 4 on is future. Now, notice chapter 1, verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, meaning Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Verse 11, this is what Jesus said, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, and those churches are mentioned. And then in verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, as I said, with chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we are given the contents of this first letter to the first church, and that is the church at Ephesus, and this will continue with the six other churches until we reach the end of chapter 3. Now, the question is often asked, why these seven churches? Why not other churches? Why were these singled out? It's interesting that in that general area, you have the church of Colossae. You have a letter to the Colossians, and yet that's not mentioned here. I don't know that we can be terribly dogmatic on this, but there are several responses that would seem to, to help us understand why these seven churches. All of these churches were in a 100-mile uh, radius from Ephesus. They were all on a major highway. They were all a, a postal route. If you look on a Bible map, you will see there's Ephesus, and each of these churches then go north, they turn eastward, and then they come south again, and then they meet up near Ephesus. Each church had existed for about 40 years. So what you have is the Lord speaking to the second and perhaps even third generation Christians. Now, seven churches, we've already, without going overboard on this, we've already established that seven is an important number. It is the number of completion. So this would appear to be, these seven churches represent the complete church throughout the, the history of the church, meaning that, that the church, these seven churches represent seven types of churches, the complete picture found in any time period. That is to say that these were real and historical churches that give a complete picture of what 
Christ church is to be like. In every era, in every age, you can look and see there are churches just like this. And there are Christians just like this. Now, there are some Bible teachers who believe that these churches represent different uh, time periods in church history. I think that's reading into it. I don't think there's any indication in the text that that's true. In fact, I think if you look at history, it's, it's not true either. But I do think that these churches, these seven churches parallel churches that have, have existed throughout the ages. And since individual believers make up local churches, the characteristics of these churches are also characteristics of particular types of Christians. So what we will be seeing as we study these seven churches, you'll see yourself in them. You'll see our church in them. You'll discover your, your strength, your, some problems, some weaknesses in, in your life. You'll see strengths that we have at our church. You'll see some weaknesses. And, and so uh, this is an important study these seven churches. It's Christ evaluating his church. He sees what we don't see, and only he can look beyond the externals. We tend to be impressed with what we see on the outside, but the Lord does an x-ray. He looks within. He sees what's not obvious to us. Remember, here's here's the flow of the book of Revelation. We've just come out of chapter 1 in which we're given a vision of the glorified Christ. Now the glorified Christ, the judge, moves within his church and he tells us what's strong, what's weak, what he approves of, what he disapproves of, what we need to repent of, what we need to address. Now here's how the message to this church unfolds. First of all, the Lord reminds us who he is. He is the one who controls the church, and in sovereign control of the leadership of the church. Then he will commend the church at Ephesus. And by the way, this is a pattern that's very similar to how it's going to be with the other churches. Not exactly, but similar. So he commends the church, then he condemns the church. I have this against you. He commends, then he condemns, then he corrects the church, He says, here's what you need to change. And then he speaks of consequences if you do not repent and change. And finally, the passage ends with a promise to the church from the Lord. So let's get into our text and we'll see. First of all, the Lord presents himself as he who controls the church. We read in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. This letter like all the other letters in Revelation 2 and 3, specifically is addressed to the angel of the particular church, in this case, the church at Ephesus. Now, last time we studied Revelation, we observed that the term angel also means messenger. And I I, I take it the evidence is that it's a human messenger, probably the um, what we would call the pastor teacher or the primary teaching elder of the church, the one who was to communicate to the church and the one who was to stand up and, and communicate any deficiencies in the church, the primary teacher of the church. So that's who this letter is addressed to as he is to take this to the church and address the church. Now every time, and here's, the pa- here's a pattern we'll see, every time Christ addresses an individual church, he describes himself in a way that is most appropriate for that particular church. And, and he pulls from the vision 
of chapter 1. Now, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. How does Christ describe himself to the church at Ephesus? There's a reason for this. He goes on to say, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, the one who holds the seven stars, those are the seven leaders of the church, the seven human messengers, in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the seven golden lampstands we learned from verse 20 of chapter 1, those are the seven churches. Now, why does he why does he say this? Well, the church at Ephesus was a very active church. It was really the mother church of all the other churches in Asia Minor. They all sprang, apparently, from this church. You don't need to turn there, but on your own, you can read Acts chapter 19 about how Paul came to this church, came to this area of the city of Ephesus, and and led people to Christ and planted a church there. It was the first one in all of Asia Minor. It had a history of not good, but great leadership. Paul was there actually for two years. He ministered at Ephesus. Apollos was there, a man who the Bible says was mighty in the scriptures. He was an Alexandrian Jew, a Jew from northern Africa. Timothy was there. First and second Timothy, the background is the church at Ephesus. So Timothy taught there and was a leader for some time. And then the Apostle John, as an aged man, ministered in Ephesus. As I said before, at the time that Revelation was written, the church at Ephesus was about 40 years old, with a past history of being the strongest of all the churches in that region. It had an illustrious past. And Jesus uses their reputation to remind them that he, not the human leaders, is the one who's in control. Let me read verse 1 again. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, he holds them. He has a firm grip on them. He sustains them. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. The Lord wants them to understand that he is the one who controls the leadership of the church. As great as their past is, he's the one who has placed these human leaders in each church, and he controls them by the right hand of his omnipotence. He's the one who walks amongst the seven churches, the seven golden lampstands. That is to say, he's the sustainer of the church, and he sustains and controls it as he walks throughout each church, ministering to the people. So it's a reminder. Yes, you've had Paul. Yes, you've had Apollos. Yes, you've had Timothy. Yes, you you have John, but I'm the one who controls it all. Not your leaders. I'm in control of your leaders. It's not your church. It's my church. So that's how he begins. Now, the one, as he presents himself, who's totally in charge of the church is the one who's aware of the true condition of the church. And so he makes a diagnosis of this church at Ephesus. And the first thing he does in diagnosing what the church is really like He commends the church. He commends them for their spiritual strengths. Verse 2, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. Let's stop there. The first thing our Lord does is he tells them, I know your deeds, I know your toil, and I know your perseverance. This was an active church, energetic, hardworking. In fact, the word toil means to work to the point of exhaustion. 
They were weary in well-doing. This church was totally involved in serving Christ. They were characterized by it. It wasn't just a handful. The whole church was characterized this way. This is the kind, really, of, of church that every pastor dreams about shepherding. Their leaders didn't have to make them feel guilty about serving. They just served. No one had to plead for them. We have an opening in this ministry. Would you please do it? They were just out serving. And it was a church that was very active. Notice, I know your deeds and, and your toil. Now, what exactly they, they did, we're not told. They were very active. Obviously, we know from scriptures that they, what church life was like somewhat back then. They would have had a dynamic ministry to widows. They would have taken care of the poor. They would have had an evangelistic lifestyle going on. They would have had ministries to women, ministries to men. There would have been elders meetings and discussing how to lead the church, deacons meetings. There would have been perhaps even baptism classes, giving instruction. They, they, they would have been active teaching the Word, spending time in prayer, fellowshipping, sharing with one another. They were, they were just very, very active. And notice, Jesus said, I, I know your perseverance. Know your deeds, your toil, and perseverance. Why does he mention perseverance? Because this was a church that was persecuted. This was a church where it was not easy to serve the Lord. This is a church that did not quit in their deeds and and work, even though times were tough. It was very challenging to be a Christian at Ephesus in the first century. Ephesus was the center of worship for the goddess Diana. You may know her name as Artemis. It's Artemis in Greek, in Roman. The Roman way of of looking at her, she was called Diana. The temple of Diana was in Ephesus. You might recall in Acts chapter 19, there is a riot that takes place in Ephesus because they saw Paul and his ministry as a threat. Because once people got saved, they would throw away their statues of Diana. And so there was a big riot about this. But Diana was considered the temple there, one of the seven wonders of the world. Diana was a fertility goddess, and her statue was of a many-breasted woman with various fertility symbols. So, what you had in Ephesus connected to the worship of Diana, you had scores of priestesses who were temple prostitutes, singers, flute players, dancers. They would all gather at the temple to participate in one basically giant orgy in the name of religion. So you had legalized prostitution that dominated the city. One ancient philosopher said that no one could live in Ephesus without weeping at the immorality which he sees all around him. But this was a church that in the midst of the difficulty of being in such a pagan culture, was serving the Lord. And you know what? They were doing it for the right motives. Sometimes our motives aren't always right in serving the Lord, but this church was doing it for the right motives. Notice verse 3. And you have perseverance and have endured, notice this, for my namesake. And you've not grown weary. 
Now, pagans were serving Diana for her namesake and and her glory, but Jesus said, you Christians at Ephesus, you are serving and persevering and not quitting, and you're doing it for my namesake. I like that. I commend you for that. So into the center of paganism, the Lord raises up a church active, aggressive, never quitting. And Jesus says, I know all about your service for me and I commend you, it's great. It's just great. You know, there are some churches that are active, and they are aggressive, but they don't have any standards. They don't address sin. They have a lot of activity without much biblical purity. They don't deal in discipline of sin, and they they do not address sin for whatever reasons. They don't want to lose members. They don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. Whatever, they don't. But that wasn't true of the church at Ephesus. Notice, let's go back to verse 2. I stopped after the word perseverance, but let's continue. He says, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. First of all, Jesus said, you're, you're active, you're busy, you're toiling, you're persevering, and you also, I commend you, you cannot endure evil men. This is a church that disciplined sin. This is a church that dealt with sin. They would not tolerate businessmen cheating, lying, getting drunk, fits of rage. They had high biblical standards. They dealt with sin. Jesus said, you you don't tolerate that in your church. You deal with it. You don't sweep it under the carpet and pretend it's not there. If you find out that sin is going on, you confront them. Also, in addition to being sensitive to sin, this was a church that had very high standards concerning the leadership. The leadership. Notice the last phrase. I read it just a moment ago in verse 2. You put to the test, those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. They didn't tolerate false leaders, men coming into their assembly saying, I'm, I'm called to be an apostle, and I'm called to be a leader here. Jesus said, or Paul said rather, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when he spoke to the church, the leaders of the church at Ephesus for the last time, he said that after my departure... There will be grievous, savage wolves coming in amongst you to draw disciples away. They're they're false teachers. And here we're seeing that this happened, but this church dealt with it. At least at this point, they did. They dealt with it. They would not let anybody come in and say, I'm going to be a leader here. In tomorrow's class, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this study on Christ's letter to the church at Ephesus. Be sure to join the rest of the class as we gain insight into God's Word that will strengthen your faith and help you to apply God's Word to your daily life. Remember, at any time, you can log on to our website, versebyverseradio.org, to learn more about this program and to listen again to today's lesson or any of the hundreds of other lessons available for free download. You may also call Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306 for any questions you may have about the Bible or to request a CD copy of this message. That phone number again is 727-239-0306. 
As a reminder, Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. If you have been blessed by this message, would you consider sending a gift to help maintain this program? You can donate online by going to our website, www.versebyverseradio.org, and clicking on the Giving tab. Or call us at 727-239-0306. Until next time on Verse by Verse, I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Finally, it is my most fervent prayer to the Almighty God, before whom I now stand, and who has kept us in His hands from the infancy of our Republic unto the present day, that he will so overrule all my intentions and actions and inspire the hearts of my fellow citizens that we may be...